0: Every knee will bow, every eye will see, everyone will
1: shout, Jesus Christ is King. Well,
0: good morning. Good morning. Many of you are thinking right now, who is this guy? He's much better looking than the normal guy that's up here each week. (laughs) And you would be right. Um, My name is Kyle Hendrickson. I'm one of the other pastors here at the Parks Church. Um, Ryan, as Kent mentioned earlier, is still leading a team in Kenya, and they're doing amazing work. If you're following them on social media, you're seeing some of the great pictures of the work that's being done there. So those of you that knew last week, we prayed over that team. Thank you for your prayers. Continue lifting up that team in prayer as they will be serving through Wednesday and traveling back to be back with us and report on what God did next Sunday with us. Also before we get started, I also want to thank Holly and Aaron Snell. Was that wonderful worship today? Amen? Yeah. Thank you. I know it blessed me greatly, and uh, I hope that you were led to the throne of Christ as I was it was such an amazing opportunity to worship with dear friends. Aaron is a, is a friend. Holly, obviously a friend. You know her. They uh, served down at Parks McKinney, like they said. And such an amazing thing for us to have a sister church like the Parks McKinney as a part of our family of churches that we have in McKinney and Frisco and Melissa, and that we can serve one another when the need arises. Obviously, Ryan, Matt, they're both out today. And so instead of you just being able to see Kyle show all day, which would have been terrible... We got to see the blessing and join in uh, with the worship this morning from Aaron and Holly. So thank you. Thank you guys for being here and joining us. Now, I get the privilege today of preaching on an incredible topic as we continue our study of the book of Proverbs, the foolishness and the destruction of adultery and the blessing of sex within the covenant of marriage. Heavy? Yes, I know. But if you've been around the Parks Church for any length of time, you know that's kind of my M.O. around here. It's like, hey, is there something awkward or strange or something that makes people squeamish in their seats? Go ahead and give that topic to Kyle. He'll preach on it. No problem. Okay? It is the Word. And let me remind you again, Kent gave a great disclaimer in the welcome. But for those of you that came in, because you don't realize our service starts at 1030, you'd come closer to 11. Um, we are going to talk about sex today, and it may get a little PG-13 in here, but I can assure you that we are simply discussing what the Bible has before us. So that being said, unless you are ready to give the talk today to your child when you get home, I would encourage you to take the opportunity now to enter those kids into kids church where they can hear a lesson that's more appropriate and on their age level. I'm going to pray now so that you, parents, don't feel embarrassed about taking your kids. So I'm going to pray another time. Ask the Lord to go before me with this topic and before us so that we can discuss what God has for us. So let's bow our heads one more time. Parents, if you need to move, you can. God, thank you again for your holy word. It's written perfectly and written for us today. And you have a special word for us today. Um, And I ask that you would speak that to these people, that you would get me out of the way, and that you would remove any um, hindrance that might be um, caused by this subject or anything that might be in our way this morning, that you would remove that now so that we could focus solely on you and what you have for us. God, you are a good God, and you didn't write these words by accident. You didn't put this in the Bible um, for no reason. You put this here for a purpose. And something that can apply to us today just like it did thousands of years ago. And so we ask that you would do that and that your Holy Spirit would work. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. So let's keep in mind this morning as we discuss the topic of sex that we, humans, fleshly people, sinners, us, we made the idea of it dirty. Not God. It was us all along. God made it good. Very good, if I do say so myself. And... If you don't get anything else out of today, I want you to get this. So you can fall asleep after this, or you can get out, you can be offended, whatever. Sex is good because God created it. Sex is good because God created it, and our job is to keep it good for the glory of Him. We keep it good to the glory of Him. And I want us to be honest this morning, I think that's the only way that we can address these kind of subjects is if we're honest with each other and we're honest with the Lord. We do get weird, we get defensive when we discuss sex, when we discuss adultery, whether it's among each other, whether it's in church, but unfortunately I think in the church we almost completely avoid talking about it, and that's wrong. We underestimate the seriousness of this subject to God, and we fail to understand how important it really is. And so, as I was preparing for this message, there are a few reasons that I thought of in why I think we avoid the subject. So, we see the problem, then we can hopefully recognize and run towards the solution. So, a few reasons I think we avoid the topic, especially in church, is we think sexual purity, when we're trying to strive for sexual purity or holiness, we think it includes avoiding talking about this subject. We think maybe a proper or mature or an upstanding Christian would never discuss vulgar issues like this or that kind of filth. And I do agree we need to be wise on how we address it and discuss it, but avoidance of the subject entirely is not an option. And obviously, God's Word doesn't give us an option, or He wouldn't put it in here like He does. Number two, we underestimate the gravity and the seriousness of sexual sin. We underestimate the seriousness of sexual sin. We think it's no big deal, something maybe we could sweep under the rug. We think maybe talking about it will lead people to do it, like if we just stay silent on it, maybe it'll be out there and we won't think about it so nothing will happen. Maybe we think it's just the way of the world. Now, Pastor, it's just, it's just the way of the world. It's everywhere. It's on TV. It's, 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 it's all around us. I got friends. all The, the, the idea of, of the sanctity of marriage and, and holiness within sex, that's... That's that's not a big deal anymore. It's the way of the world. And church, it may be the way of the world, but it's not the way of God. The Bible is not silent on this topic of sex. It speaks to sex and sexual sin quite often so that we can understand the blessing and the temptation that it can be. Number three, we don't see sex from a biblical perspective. How often do you think of sex in a biblical perspective or a theological way? Probably very, very rarely. I don't either. But we don't fully grasp that sex is a gift from God. Like I said, a good gift from God. And he didn't simply create it for procreation, but for our pleasure, for recreation. He wanted, and I say this with all caps, with all quotes, with all parentheses, he wanted married people to enjoy it. You see, he could have made human reproduction much less enjoyable, right? But he didn't. Amen. Because he's a good God who likes to give his people good gifts, like I prayed earlier. So because of that, we cannot minimize this topic. We cannot distort it. And we simply cannot ignore it. And then the final reason I think we avoid this topic is that we have guilt and shame in regards to sex or sexual sin. And I think this one hits closer to home than any of the others. Most people have some kind of bad history or experience when it comes to sex. Or maybe they're entrapped. You might be entrapped or caught up in sexual sin right now. And that's okay. You're in the right place this morning. And God will speak to you. And there is freedom in bringing that to the Lord. But here's the deal. We, we as As Christians, especially church people, we're prone to do, we avoid confessing and talking about this topic because it's something that brings us guilt, shame, or embarrassment. We don't like to bring things up that bring us guilt, shame, or embarrassment because we like to put on a facade that everything's okay and that everything's all right. When in deep inside, we have something that is consuming us, taking us over, and killing us daily because the sin continues to take us over and it eventually will. So I hope today that we can bring things into the light, that we can understand that sex is a gift from God, but we can understand that confessing sin is powerful, important, and leads to ultimate freedom in Christ Jesus. So we're not going to avoid the topic today. We're diving fully in, and we're going to understand what Solomon wants us to see and wants us to read as he wrote to his son in chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles and you'll open to chapter 5, if you need a Bible, there's one on the first row. One under the first seat of every row, and it will also be behind me <clears throat> on the screen. But in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. So he starts this chapter the same way. If you've been with us the last few weeks, he starts this chapter the same way as he started the chapters thus far. He tells his son, pay attention, son. And be wise. He's like a broken record to his son. He hears it over and over and over again. Parents, kids, you know, over and over, students. But he's hoping that actually one of these times he'll start to understand it. He'll start taking these words he says, take them to heart, and take the wisdom and go forth with the wisdom from his father. So, parents, there's value. And this was a good reminder to me. There's value and good that can come from constant repetition to your children. I don't see it now. I know you don't. I know I don't. Every day, brush your teeth. Take your medicine. Pick up your room. Make your bed. Pick up the toys. Over and over. It's like a broken record. Every day, there's tears. There's fights. There's tears. There's fights. But my hope is, and my prayer, and what Solomon's prayer was for his son, that it will lead to a fully functional, able-bodied adult one day. And... (laughs) So, I say to you, stay the course, parents, because constant repetition will be wise and showing your wisdom to your kids is important. And Solomon wants his son to act wisely and speak wisely. So then after verses 1 and 2, he then enters into this idea today, this idea of adultery and sexual sin. So clearly, we can see his son is obviously old enough to experience sexual temptation. So he's either married already or he's close to it, just to give us a perspective of the audience. So if you're in this room and you're old enough to either experience sexual temptation of any kind, this message is for you. And some of you hear the word adultery and you're like, that's not for me, that's for married people. I beg to differ. Look at the words from Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 28 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, if you've ever, and I have a list to fill in the blank, you need Proverbs 5. If you've ever gazed upon or fantasized about someone other than your spouse in a sexual way, you need Proverbs 5. If you've ever committed sexual acts with someone who isn't your spouse, you need Proverbs 5. If you've ever flirted as a married person or with a married person, you need Proverbs 5. If you've ever searched or looked at pornography, if you've ever read Fifty Shades of Grey or another romance novel and thought, if my husband was only like, you need Proverbs 5. If you've ever failed to guard your heart and mind against any kind of form of sexual temptation, whether that's images, words, or videos, you need Proverbs. Proverbs 5. So you may be tempted to think I'm speaking to someone else this morning. And that would be the devil trying to tempt you to say this isn't for you. You might think you're above this. You'd never give in to sexual temptation. Wrong. The thief comes in to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. And he will do it. And specifically will do it through sexual sin more often than not. And so this is for all of us, me included. We all need Proverbs chapter 5. We need wisdom in dealing with sex and honoring God with our bodies. So Solomon enters into verses 3 through 14 of Proverbs 5 to tell his son to recognize and reject, to recognize and reject the foolishness and the temptation of adultery. So back in our Bibles, we'll read from verse 3, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, And her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And by the way, this mentions a woman. Solomon's talking about this forbidden woman. But this text doesn't simply apply to this particular woman or even women in general. There are many men out there that can be seductive and a smooth talker. He paints this ugly picture of temptation and the consequences of giving into it. And I may speak for men, but we especially as foolish men, we're often deceived by appearances. We're led astray by words. And Solomon wants his son to really understand. He wants him to really comprehend how ugly this type of sin is and what it will ultimately be lead to. In verse 3, the woman is seductive and persuasive. The man's drawn to her because she inflates his ego. Her words are sweet and smooth like honey. And folks, we're naturally weak when it comes to flirting and fake flattery. Why wouldn't we? We love being built up. We love words of affirmation. We love being told that we're pretty. Especially me. I love being told I'm pretty. But we are. We must recognize the fact that we're weak in that area. And when we recognize the weaknesses within us, that's when we can start overcoming the temptation and avoiding it with the grace of God and with His power. So then he moves on to verses 4 through 6. Shows his son. What you see in here initially is not what you get in reality. First impressions are not reality, right? That happens so often. We see something first and after time the first impression and what we saw initially is not what is in reality. And Solomon knew that and he told his son that. And immediately, what you got that he thought was sweet and smoother than oil moves to bitterness, to death. He describes this bitter outcome of adultery that once was sweet and pleasurable in the beginning. It now leads to pain, to suffering, separation, guilt, ultimately death in the end. He compares it to wormwood. At the time, a very bitter and oftentimes poisonous plat plant. So you can see the parallel between the two. And this adulteress leads her followers to death. In verse five, he says she's like a double-edged sword. A double-edged sword that is not a sword to just put up in a box over your uh, over your desk in your office. A double-edged sword is a weapon with the intent to kill a double-edged sword, or feet go down to death, or to Sheol. See appearances and words can be deceiving and deadly. First impressions do not often represent reality, and wisdom requires discernment and quick response. Thus, we need the Word of God to guide us and to be written on our hearts to resist and flee from temptation. Let's look at verses 7 through 14. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors, I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Man, how about that for some encouragement this morning? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's uh, strong words from Solomon, right? But he's reminding his son, he says, don't ignore my wisdom. He's reminding him again, the broken record. Don't ignore my wisdom. He says, listen, boy, you listening to me? Do you look at me when I'm talking to you? I was in Arkansas this weekend. Are you smelling what I'm stepping in? That was a thing I'd heard this this week. And since a lot of them don't wear shoes, that made it kind of nasty. I'm just kidding. Got to lighten it up in here a little bit every once in a while, folks. Um, But in in verse 8, he says, keep your way far from her. He says, don't even go near the door of her house. You understand that, folks? Don't even go near the door of adultery. Don't flirt. Don't look. Don't peek. Don't fantasize. Don't text. Don't Snapchat. Don't DM. That's direct message for nobody that's social media savvy. Okay? Don't even think about it. Students, don't walk the line of just making out or maybe just messing around saying, we're not actually having sex. Because here's the deal, when you're near the door, when you're knocking on the door, when you're on the porch of the house, it's sure a lot easier to go in and stay a while than if you're back at the road, right? When the door's right here, I'm going to walk right in, because when I knock, that door's going to open, and I'm going to be in. If I'm back at the road, I'm going to keep driving by. So don't even go near the door of her house, Solomon says. I have a buddy, when he travels alone, he says, he unplugs the TV. The first thing he does when he goes into a hotel room when he's traveling alone. Takes away the temptation. I even go a step further. There's a Bible in every single hotel room in the country. Take that Bible, put it over the remote. Even as a secondary fail safe, fail guard. I also would say don't go down to the hotel bar for a nightcap. Only bad is gonna lead there when it's 10, 11, 12 o'clock at the hotel bar. And make sure your spouse is the last person you talk to before you go to sleep. That's a great fail safe. Be open and honest with each other with text messages and online activity. You see, if we put these guards up, if we put these fences up, if we put these things in place now, then the temptation is a lot less likely to happen when you're open, when you're honest with each other. And this is the person God gave you for life. You should be more honest and open with them than anyone. And so often we are not. So be open, be honest with each other. Make sure your spouse is the last person you talk to before you go to sleep. Solomon then outlines five consequences of the foolishness of adultery. He says them right there in verses 9 through 11. He says, you'll give your honor to others. You'll give your years to the merciless. Strangers, you'll give them your strength. Your labors will go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, if you thought there was anything left, your flesh and body will are consumed. So Solomon says, adultery can utterly ruin everything in your life. Everything important, and even life itself. You lose your spouse, you can lose your family, you can lose your kids, your friends, money, job, your community, everything. If you didn't think sexual sin was important, you should now. It's a big deal. We have to understand the seriousness of what Solomon is speaking to us today. In this example, we see in verses 12 and 13 that Solomon, he's describing this man that hated discipline. He describes this man that despised correction, but he's obviously aware of his foolish choices. He's aware of the sin and the consequences that those choices bring. And in verse 14, he shows specifically that sexual sin can bring shame, ruin, embarrassment, and ultimately separation from community. I read a quote from a commentary I read this week, and it said, Made public, adultery brings personal shame, humiliation to loved ones, and loss of respect in the larger community. So sexual sin, pleasurable for a time, but at what cost? At what cost? Adultery, whether it's in body, mind, or heart, is foolishness, and it will have its consequences. So let's stop right here and let's ask this question, church. Are you aware of your own sinfulness this morning? Do you deny it? If you are aware, have you been led to repentance? If you're aware of that sin, have you been led to repentance? Would you admit on your own that you're a sinful, flesh-driven person, that I'm all about myself and I'm all about my own happiness? Apart from God, I am in ruins. Would you recognize The wisdom and righteousness that can only come from the Lord and not from your own doing? Friends, church, you need a Savior to forgive all of your sins. And not just the sexual ones we're talking about today. You need a Savior to forgive all of your sins. And so if you're here today and that question applies to you, one of those things that I just mentioned applies to you. Repent, believe, run to Jesus this morning. Have hope in the gospel And accept and believe that Christ's sufficient work on the cross was to cover all sins, even the sexual ones, even the hidden ones, even the one that no one knows about, even the worst sin you can think of. Pastor, if you knew the things I was doing, there's no way that the Lord forgive. Yes, even those sins. God's work, Christ's work on the cross was sufficient for all sins, past, present, and future. There's no sin too small or too great that wasn't covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen? And that's the freedom we can have. Whether you're a believer, whether you're an unbeliever, and today, let today be the day of salvation so that Jesus' blood can cover those sins, he can make you white as snow, and guess what, when he looks at you, he doesn't see all those problems, he doesn't see all those mistakes, he doesn't see all those sins, he sees Jesus in you. Let him offer the forgiveness that is freely in his grace and mercy. And let it change and heal you. Let it change and heal you. Solomon then moves, in the next few verses, into a more joyful part of the proverb, not quite as beat-downish um, as the first few verses were, but he moves into a more joyful part of the proverb, and tells his son to rejoice in marital intimacy. Look at Proverbs five, verses 15 through 19. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. That's a little more happy, a little more upbeat for us, something we can get behind. He's encouraging his son and us today, church, to be intoxicated physically and intimately with our spouse. That's good news. Alistair Begg, who's a pastor in Cleveland, Ohio, and teacher for Truth For Life Radio, he said sexual intimacy should be three things. Three things. Exclusive, ecstatic, and constant. Exclusive, ecstatic, And constant. And verses 15 through 17 speak to the exclusivity of the sexual intimacy confined to the marriage relationship. He said, husband and wife should refresh each other sexually, and like the word says, like a flowing stream and a peaceful well. See, a husband should never be willing to share his wife with another woman, and vice versa. I didn't say that right. A husband should never be willing. That's always true as well. I mean, that's another talk for another day, probably. No one called me out on it. Can we take that one out of the recording? Uh. (laughs) But a husband shouldn't ever share his wife with another man. Or another woman, really. Anybody. Anybody. Exclusivity. Exclusivity. Exclusivity is a good thing. It's a good thing. The, the portrayal that friends made on TV, that's not real life. You can't just sleep around with a group of friends and still be friends. It's just not. That's not how life is. And that's not the way the Lord um, designed it to be. The Bible affirms this exclusivity too. And he says in First Corinthians chapter seven verses three through four, he says, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. And so we have to be exclusive. In our marriage, in our sexual intimacy, it's made for one person. Till death do you part. You honor one another exclusively, especially in the context of sex. Vases 18 and 19 speak to the sexual intimacy in marriage to be ecstatic, to be exciting. Husband and wives are to enjoy each other sexually. Like I said at the beginning, sex isn't just for making babies. There should be joy in the journey. amen i'm not getting enough amens i'm not really sure if they're just not sure if you should or not you can it's the word of god solomon though does give us a little bit of a warning in verse 18 to married people he says be careful after a while married people for you start thinking you deserve someone new and maybe more exciting that's not right and it's not biblical and, and frankly it's not, it's sin because God gave you him, ladies men, God gave you her and so you it's a sin to become dissatisfied or discontent with that person you're basically telling God, you know she was pretty good looking back in the day and uh, you know, we got married, man I love looking at wedding pictures she was really really smoking then but you know I, I think I deserve a little bit better now, I need an updated model you know, I, I need a I need to kind of cash in for a new model and new and improved. I mean, are you kidding? Have you looked at yourself in the mirror lately? (laughs) Nothing's quite in the same place on you either, okay? You should be thanking God she's stuck with you. You will age, so will your spouse, but they should be no less beautiful to you. They should be no less attractive. In fact, your intimacy should grow over time. And you should become even more attracted to the spouse, to your husband, to your wife. Now, how about verse 19 engraved on the front of your Bible? I'll let you look at it. We can put it up there. How about putting that on the mantle over the fireplace? (laughs) Tattooed on your arm, maybe? I don't know. Thinking about it. I'll have to ask Jess about it. I don't know if she'll go with it or not. The words used here are blatantly sexual. There's nothing to be said about that. There's no like, commentary on it. It's like, wonder what they are mean in the real Greek or the real Hebrew. the. No, this is it. It's provocative. It's explicit. It's ecstatic. That's how sex is supposed to be within the marriage relationship. And then also in verse 19, it shows us that sexual intimacy in marriage should be constant. At all times. He uses the word at all times and always. At all times and always. Often and continual. Listen to what I'm saying. Married people. Again, all quotes in parentheses, in quotations, caps. Sorry, students. Married people, okay? It says, married people, the Word of God right here, says to have sex all the time. The Word of God says to have sex all the time. I can tell you, well, I'm not sure if I can tell you. I can tell you in, in pretty pretty certain from this stage that there will be no better commandment given to go out into the world. There's no better permission. Uh, there, There may be in a time to come, but I don't think there's ever been a better permission that says the Word of God says, married people, go have sex all the time. Okay? I'm not certain, but I'm pretty sure as your pastor, there's no other better promise to come from this stage. Okay? The Word says to be as intimate as you can, as often as you can. And the reason is is that you're continually satisfied with and by each other so that you're not prone to those sexual temptations outside of the marriage covenant. When you continually fill each other up, when you're continually content and you're meeting one another's needs sexually, then it's a lot harder for me to go out. It should be a lot harder. It's a lot easier for me to resist the temptation that comes my way. When I'm honest with my spouse, when I'm continually engaged with my spouse on a marriage relationship, physically and intimately, it's easier to resist that temptation. And then Solomon ends the chapter as he began with the reminder in verses 20 through 23. I won't read them now. Jason read them for us at the beginning. But he ends with a reminder of the foolishness of this adultery and the results of sexual sin. And you can read over those. But he's saying, why seek out out another woman or a fantasy when God has given you the perfect one right now? He's given you the perfect spouse. Till death do you part for life. He's given you the perfect one. And friends, I'll end with this. God sees all sin and he will ultimately judge all sin. Anybody entrapped by sin, the unrepentant person, Not just the adulterer we're talking about. Any sinner, any unrepentant person will ultimately die an eternal death without repentance. But those of you, you can repent today. You can confess today. You can believe today in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, that what he did, what he said he did, he went to the cross and that blood on the cross was sufficient for all the sins in your life. And he will forgive you today and make you white as snow. Friends, are you caught up in sexual sin right now? Some of you are in here and you're like, why did I come today? The Lord brought you here today on purpose so that we can address the sexual sin. Maybe you're entangled in a secret sin or you're legitimately caught in the sin, in the act. Maybe you're constantly stumbling back into old habits because you have this secret sin and it's never been brought up into the light. And like I said earlier, secret sin will never forgive itself. It will never heal itself. It has to be brought into the light because it's darkness. Sin is darkness. When it's brought into the light, the darkness can't stand in the light. The light will overcome it, and you will start your healing process. So choose to receive the freedom and forgiveness from God in Christ Jesus today. That's my encouragement. Those that are believers in here, that are Christ followers, Confess your sin. Bring it into the light with a fellow brother, a sister in Christ, with a pastor, with a trusted friend. Have hope in the gospel church. And have trust that the work Christ did on that cross was sufficient for even the most secret of sins. The most destructive of sins. The sin that you're like, I don't know. If I told somebody about this, this would ruin me. Christ has overcome even that one. And finally... I would encourage you to connect with our reengage marriage groups. We got them coming up this fall. We started a pilot program in the spring and there's some opportunities for you to check it out this summer. And I'm actually going to invite Chris and Tori Owens. They're going to come up. They went through this pilot program that we had in the spring with Reengage and they're going to tell a little bit about their experience, what Reengage is, the powerful ministry it is and the opportunity to plug into this group this summer. And this fall,
1: it's on. Good morning. Good morning. I think we're in the same boat as you, Kyle. They ask us to do the, the hard things. Um, so, I wanted to just give you a little bit of insight on reengage. We were lucky enough to be part of the pilot program. It is um, it's a def- it's definitely a commitment, but it has grown us um, tremendously. It's it's a great wor- um, it's a great investment of time is how i'll call it i would just say that you know kind of what kyle said today you're if you're married you know this your marriage is under attack um it's under attack in the world today um satan is after us right that's the that's the root of your family and if your marriage is is falling apart then it's easy to tear apart the family and if you tear apart the family um you know that's that's god's design for how we're supposed to live together so um, this this really taught us a lot of things i would say i found a commentator that um that said it this way, marriage is the reality of two sinners being brought into close, constant, intimate proximity. Not only that, but these two sinners live in a broken, sin-cursed world. That's why it's vital that we strive daily to abide in Christ, being ever molded more into his image. I think that's what this program helps you to do. So if, if you're like me and, and my family, um, I have divorced parents and uh, I really learn how to do this with my wife, right? How to be intimate with her emotionally, how to be intimate with her spiritually, This really gives you some tools and the opportunities to do that week after week. And it's not easy. It's hard. There's some really hard weeks, but it's worth it. Um, The curriculum is very Christ-centered. It all points back to the gospel. And it's like discipleship, really. And it teaches you how to disciple each other. And that's what marriage is meant for. Um, It's not a magic pill. It's a process. And if you commit to it, you'll see God's work uh, in your life and through your marriage and this process. Um, And I, I just want, you know, at the beginning of reengage engage it's, it's um, draw a circle around yourself, right? So this is not a fix your spouse kind of thing. So if you think that's what it is, if you're like elbowing your spouse, like we need to go to this because you're, you're messed up, um, that's not what it is, right? It's a, it's a nurture your own relationship with your savior, Jesus Christ kind of thing. And that changes the way you love, respond, and give yourself to your spouse. And so if that sounds good to you and you need that, I would encourage you to come to it. Um, and also through the process, you'll find three to four other couples that will be rooting for you and fighting for your marriage. And that is, that's an unbelievable thing. So we've had friends our entire life, um, but none that we've experienced this type of intimacy and transparency and vulnerability with that we knew they were praying for us. Um, that's powerful. That's powerful. Satan does not want that in your life. And if you can get this, I would strongly encourage you to do so. All right, so uh, one thing Adam asked me to tell you too is that this is not just for broken marriages. It's not if you're at a two and you want to be a three. This is if, you want to be a, if you're a seven right now and you want to be an eight or a nine or a 10. It's for all types of marriages. Um, so I would strongly encourage you that. Uh, I would come. It's worth it. It's awesome time. What do you have, babe? Um,
2: I just wanted to add that, um, you know, there's a lot of marriages in our church that they're really, really great, and that's amazing. And then there's some that are just kind of meh and then there's some that are in crisis right now. Um, we didn't start this um, re-engage program like real, real excited, at least for me I didn't because I was like, oh, I don't really need that. It's, you know, huge, huge commitment. Um, and then once going through the process, I just realized how thankful and blessed we are to have a team that can go and, and adopt this program and bring it here for us because that's how much we care about the marriages in our, family, in our church family um, and also in the community too um, because like Chris said, marriage is the number one place where the enemy wants to attack us. Um, and I think for those of us that have children and young children, it's vitally important that they see us being proactive for our marriages. Um, I know at one point, Going through this, um, we would have tiff-tiffs, arguments, and our kids would be like, oh, my, are you getting divorced? We're like, no, we're not getting divorced. Like, we're just having healthy conversations. And then they'd be like, why are you going to this marriage class? Like, what's wrong? And we're like, nothing is wrong. And now they see like, okay, nothing is wrong. You're just being really, really proactive. And um, I think that's really healthy. And it's it's so important and crucial. Um, So I would just encourage anyone here who, um, whether you want to be proactive and whether your marriage is really, really great and you want to keep it going that way, I highly encourage you to do this. Or if your marriage is in crisis right now, highly, highly encourage you to do this. So this is for everyone. Um, And it is a commitment, but it's, you will see the fruits of, of your labor when you put the work in and um, continue on this journey, so. Awesome, thank you. you. We
0: well, you heard it from them, and our prayer as elders, and I can speak for all of them, is that every married couple in our church would go through re-engage at some point. And we have two opportunities for you, you saw it on the screen here, two opportunities this summer for you to hear more information. Sunday, July 14th, that's in two weeks, immediately following the service, and Sunday, August 4th, we also have an open group for you to just come in, experience what re-engage is about. There's no commitment at that point in time, but a chance for you to just hear about it before they kick off at the end of August for the fall semester. And the thing is, church, those are going to be immediately following service with childcare and lunch provided for free. So there's absolutely no excuse for you not to just check it out. So I pray, knowing that the enemy, like Chris and Tori said, is trying to attack marriages, trying to break it up, that you will take this regardless of how healthy you think your marriage is or if you're hanging on by a thread. Re-engage is for you. Proverbs 5 is for you. And I pray that the Lord will bless you this week through the words of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word. I I thank you that when it's read, it does not come back; it doesn't return void. I pray that it was encouraging to us, God, but also convicting to us. Pray, Lord, if there was anything that I said that was wrong or 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 offensive to you, or or or. theologically inaccurate. I pray you'd remove that from people's minds I pray that you um, would continue to have our people dwell on what you would have them to do as they pursue you, as they pursue each other in their marriages, that you would be the foundation of that relationship, that they would be open and honest with one another about things that they struggle with. I pray for folks in here that are dealing with a secret sexual sin right now that they would be bold enough to talk to a brother or sister in Christ to one of our pastors or elders this morning that they could bring that into the light so that you can start the healing process because you've already gone before us to redeem us through the work that you did on the cross. We just have to be, we just have to accept that it was sufficient because the enemy wants us to think it wasn't. But your work was sufficient for us then. It was for us yesterday. It is for us today. And it will be forever. We thank you so much for that continual grace. The grace upon grace upon grace. That you so freely give each and every day of our lives. Thank you Lord for this time together. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the opportunity to worship with my brothers and sisters. For this word that you've given us today. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.